Hi, I'm Matt McClory, lead pastor alongside my wife, Jill, here at Colonial Church in St. Augustine, Florida. Wanted to welcome you to Colonial Church's podcast. We are a church that believes in Jesus and people, which means we believe in you. So why not today subscribe to this podcast and choose to grow your life spiritually and in all the other ways as well into everything that God has got for you. God bless you and I hope you enjoy this episode. Um, it's such an honor to be here. We've been like, I'm as green as they come. We have been in America for six weeks. And so uh, if I seem a little bit excitable, it's because it hasn't been knocked out of me yet. And, uh, and we, we just moved into an apartment so we can finally stop living out of suitcases in New York. So that's exciting as well. And uh, it's, it's awesome. I mean, within the first few weeks of us being here, there have been uh, two different hurricane warnings, uh, flood warnings. Um, the the subway's been down in New York, uh, and I just have assumed that's like normal life here. But um, apparently, it doesn't happen all that often. But I don't know. It seems to be happening often to me. So uh, we're really excited about being here, and we're excited about being in the states for such a time as this. And uh, the pastors um, that you guys know and love are uh, uh, dear friends that we uh, deeply respect. And Matt and Jill have known these guys for a very long time. Um, I can remember Matt as a teenager. Um, is how far back I think we go. And uh, and I was I was actually remembering this morning that um, you know Matt Matt took me shopping. Like, I think a couple of times we went shopping. Like he's he was on this mission, or, or I was on a mission. One of us was on a mission um, to try and get me into some skinnier jeans than I was used to wearing. <laughs> And so Matt would take me shopping. We'd go down to Bondi and uh, we'd look for jeans. And I, I don't know that I ever quite got as, as skinny or cool as Matt, but, um, you know, he was helping transition me at least from flares. So it was part of that, part of that process. And uh, I'm, I'm grateful for Matt and to have watched him and see what God is using him to do now. And... Um, and I've got to let you know, like sometimes I think when you come in at something from the outside, you can see some things really clearly. And one of those things is that God is doing something remarkable in this place and His hand is on this church in a unique way. Um, and I believe that um, what Matt and Jill have been able to create and what God is doing through them, the way that they've been obedient, the way that they've followed His leading and built something in different ways with different thinking and fresh ways of doing things, I believe is going to bear great fruit for others. And yes, it's going to continue to bear incredible fruit here. I know that the best is by far yet to come um, right here. Uh, but I'm believing that also that's going to bear fruit for other people and that new ways of thinking and new ways of approaching things are going to bear incredible fruit in the lives of other people. And you are a part of that. And those stakes going in deep in the ground here is going to bear incredible fruit in other services here, but in other parts of the country and other parts of the world as the story of what God is doing here continues to be told. And you are a part of that and you are a part of that fruit. And so this is good soil to plant yourself and continue to see God do remarkable things. Allery, I just wanted to encourage you um, that it is exciting that you are going to have um, a little baby girl. Um, and, um, and, and I did want to say, you know, over and over again through Scripture, uh, God 
it says that it talks about God seeing, it talks about God remembering, and it talks about God favoring. And those are the things that come with uh, someone becoming pregnant in the scriptures oftentimes. And I just want to encourage you, like as you were sharing that news with me, um, it, it, it reminded me that you are seen that you are remembered and that you are favored. And, and this sign of that is, you know, it's, it's going to be beautiful in terms of what you bring forth, but it is like, it is almost like God's going, I see you. Like, I see you, every part of you, every part of how you were formed from the time of your womb. Like, I see you, I've uniquely created you, I have not forgotten you, you are remembered of me, and you are favored of me. And it is a sign of that, it is a visible, physical sign of God's favor and remembrance of you. And so, excited for all that is to come in, in your lives I, do, I always get a little bit nervous because sometimes people tell you something, but it's not for like public knowledge yet. So I'm like slowly, because when you told me about you being, you're pregnant. And hopefully that was all right. Um, we, <laughs> it's too late now. Far too late now. Those are the questions you meant to ask before you say the thing from the, the platform thing, but we live and learn. Um, <laughs> Um, I want to encourage us this morning uh, from the book of Esther. And I believe that we are living in significant times. Um, we, you know, I, you know, Danny and I have been pastoring in Perth in Australia, which is, um, it's kind of like the opposite of New York. You know, it's, it's one of the most isolated, if not the most isolated capital city in the world. It's five hours flight from Sydney in Australia. Uh, the closest capital city uh, to Perth is Bali, uh, which is not a bad place to be close to, but it's still three and a half hours flight away. Um, and it is just remote and untouched and beautiful and scenic uh, and laid back and country town vibes. And, you know, my experience so far of New York is that it's a little different to that. Um, it, it's fairly interconnected city. Um, there are lots of people, like, everywhere. Everywhere I go, there are, like, lots of people. And, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't seem to go anywhere at night. There's still lots of people there in the middle of the night. And so um, that's been interesting, getting used to, and uh, we are loving it. There are some remarkable people um, in that part of the world. We're believing that the greatest days of what God wants to do on the East Coast is yet to come. Um, I wanted to share uh, this thought this morning. You know, my, my, my family and I started coming to our church, Hillsong Church, um, back in 1985. And we'd moved to uh, Australia in 1983 as a family. We didn't know anyone. We made friends with one family that lived next door to us in the condos we were living in. And that was Doug and Jenny. And Doug and Jenny, one of my earliest memories in life is sitting in their washing basket, uh, their laundry basket. What do you call it? Laundry basket, washing basket. It's like that thing that you put clothes in. I'm sitting in one of those. And uh, I'm just hanging out there. So it was, it was special times. They lived next door to us for a year and then they moved away and we lost touch with them. Um, and Sydney, you know, city of 4 million people. Uh, no mobile phones back then. It's just we're never going to see them again. Uh, a, a year later, we're planning on moving out to 
the outer reaches in those days of Sydney um, to a suburb called Borkham Hills. Um, literally the house we're about to move into across the road from that is just cows and pasture. Um, and so we're living, we're moving right out to the burbs. And uh, my, my mom is getting on a train as she's heading into work. She happens to get on the same train in the same carriage at the same time as Doug is standing in that same carriage. And Doug comes up to my mom and says, I'm, I'm so sorry we lost touch. Uh, we moved away. We actually moved out to a, to a suburb called Borkham Hills. And my mom said, no way. We are, we're about to, we just bought a house. We're about to move to Borkham Hills. And, and Doug says to her, well, when you get here, you need to come and visit this church. It's like no church we've ever been to. It's amazing. You've got to come and check it out. Uh, it meets in this old warehouse that's been refurbished into a church, and, and, uh, and you're going to love it. And my mom tells me the story that for us as a family, I mean, we, generations, we'd kind of gone to really traditional churches as there's steeples, there's stained glass, there's, that's, that's a church, right? And we would never have stepped foot in an old warehouse that had become a church if it wasn't for Doug happening to be in the same carriage at the same day and the only friends they'd had in the city after losing touch for a year. And you got to at some point start to go, what are the, what are the chances? Like, what are the chances that this is more than just a coincidence? What are the chances that this isn't something more than that? I mean, my, I met my wife now in our church. I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't encountered our church and the fresh approach and ways in doing church that Pastor Brian was kind of in, initiating in those days. Our kids are growing up in this church. They're probably going to meet their spouse. I mean, I don't want to talk about that too soon. The oldest is only 12. Um, <laughs> Um, but if you do have some young eligible boys that love the Lord, come and talk to me afterwards. Uh, <laughs> uh, by the way, these are my kids. I, I, I was, I was going to show you this picture. Um, and they're absolute sweethearts. So, um, you know, I'm always open to proposals. I come from a Sri Lankan background. And so we, we don't leave these kinds of things to chance. We arrange them. And so... Um, I'm all about that if you've, if you've got something there. Um, what, are, what are the chances, right? And, and, and this book of Esther is, is, is somewhat like that. You've got a king, the king of all of Persia, the whole Persian empire. And, and, and the king is throwing a feast and throwing a banquet. And the queen, he calls the queen to come because he wants to show off the queen in front of all of his inebriated mates. <laughs> the queen decides that sounds like the worst idea ever. I am not going. And the king, who has a problem with anger and insecurity, uh, decides, well, you're fired. You're fired from being the queen. And it says later his anger abated. He remembered that all that the queen had done, and you could see that he was softening. And that's in those moments you need friends that have wisdom to come around you and share some good wisdom. He didn't have any of those friends. He had the friends that wanted to run a reality TV show. And so they told him, let's go through the whole Persian empire everywhere. Let's find the, the most incredible women. Let's run a contest to see which one of them will become the queen. And so we had the very first season of the Bachelor Persian edition. <laughs> 
take place. I've never watched the show, by the way. I mean, I've been in the, I've been present in the room when it's been on the on the on the TV. Uh, I've never actually watched it myself. I've I've been there for it, um, as happenstance. But and and so it, you know, they they run this contest, and of all of the women in all of the land of Persia, there is a young orphan Jewish girl, and it says of her and her uncle who raised her. There was a Jew in the citadel of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjamite. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives carried away with King Jeconia of Judah. So this is the kingdom of Judah that has fallen and been dispersed throughout the entire Persian empire. The temple destroyed, carried away from their homeland, lost all of their connections and are now spread everywhere. And one of these is Esther, who is the cousin of Mordecai. And it says that Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his cousin, for she had neither father nor mother. The girl was fair and and beautiful. And of all of the women in all of the land, there is a young Jewish girl who is an orphan being raised by her cousin of a dispersed people that have completely lost any sense of their nationhood. And of all the people in all the land, Esther's the one that gets picked to be the queen. Esther's the one that receives the favor of the king. You fast forward and Esther's cousin, Mordecai, he's working in the temple and he's meant to bow down to a man named Haman. Haman was evil incarnate. <laughs> Haman shared the king's problems with anger and insecurity. It's a really bad combination. And he made it so that everyone had to bow before him and... Hey, and, and Haman's walking through and Mordecai doesn't bow to him. Everyone else does. And so Haman decides it's not enough for me to just kill Mordecai. I'm going to wipe out all of the Jews everywhere in this entire empire. That's the insecurity and anger coming together. And so Haman comes up with this plan. He brings it before the king gets the king to sign it. And it says that the letters were sent everywhere with orders to, in Esther 3, verse 13, orders to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day, which is in the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods, to steal, to destroy, to kill, to annihilate, and to steal. For those of you that have maybe been around church circles for a little while, those, those words strung together like that start to remind you of something, right? Because in John chapter 10 and verse 10, Jesus comes and says that there is an enemy who wants to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in all abundance. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And this might seem like a, 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 an old story, and we might start to think, well, what relevance could it have? 
But the reality is that the very thing that, that the evil Haman is bringing to the empire, we still fight to this day. There is still an enemy who wants to steal and kill and destroy. And there is still a Savior who has come that we might have life and have it in all of its fullness. There is still a way forward when it seems like everything is destruction. And so we pick up this story, and, and there's a few things that I think stand out to, to, to me and, and, and I think could stand out to us this morning because we find ourselves, I believe, in one of those kinds of moments where everything it feels like hangs in the balance. And Esther finds herself in that moment. And Mordecai comes out, he overhears, he, he, he finds out what has been decreed by the king that everyone's going to be wiped out, all of his people are. And, and he's, in, he's in sackcloth and ashes at the gate of the king. And Esther sends out a message to him and says, here's some clothes, um, what's going on? And, and Mordecai sends back and says, everyone is going to be killed. Esther writes back and says, I don't know what I can do about that. The king hasn't asked for me in 30 days. And if the king hasn't asked for you, you don't approach the king. If you approach the king without him summoning you and he doesn't extend his scepter towards you, you are to be killed. And the king has this little problem with anger and insecurity. And I knew about his previous life. Like I've heard about what has happened and I can't do anything about this. And Mordecai sends back to her these words, these famous words, do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your father's family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. Who knows? Perhaps you happen to be living in St. Augustine, which I am destroying the pronunciation of this morning. Perhaps you were called to live here for such a time as this. Perhaps you happen to be here during a pandemic for just such a time as this. Perhaps you happen to be living amongst that crazy family of yours for just such a time as this. Perhaps you are called to be a part of this community for such a time as this. Perhaps God has you there with those colleagues and their perspectives for just such a time as this. Perhaps He has you in that school surrounded by those people that have never known about Him for just such a time as this. I believe that we're living in one of those moments in history for such a time as this. If you're looking for a title this morning, sorry to keep you waiting, it is, what are the chances? Or you could go with for such a time as this. But what are the chances? You know, the first thing that I think stands out to me in this passage that I think is significant is that God is at work. God is at work. I mean, the, the, the crazy thing about the book of Esther is that it is even in the Bible at all. Because it is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God at all. 
Now, if I was putting the Bible together, one of the basic prerequisites <laughs> to be a book included in the Bible is that it uses the name God. At least once, at least once somewhere in the text, God needs to appear. I mean, if I'm putting the Bible together, I'm going to insert it for you. Like if I think the book is really good and this should be in there, I'm going to do a little postscript edit here. I know you always meant to have God in here, so I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna add it into the text. I mean, it's amazing that it's even there, but it reminds us that even when God is not mentioned, and even when the people are dispersed through a foreign empire and have lost their temple and have lost their nation and don't even get to live together anymore, and even when it seems like the plans and purposes of God are distant, even when it seems like we're not close anymore, even when it seems like we're not walking with Him like we once were, God is still at work. Because these coincidences are far too many for them to be mere coincidences. What are the chances that it is an orphan Jewish girl that happens to be raised to the place of queen in the entire empire at just the time when all of the people face annihilation? What are the chances? What are the chances that her cousin that raised her discovers a plot for the king to be killed, raises the plot, and the king is saved, and the king does nothing to reward him except have it written down in a book. Like, what are the chances? What are the chances on the eve of Esther sharing with the king about her people about to be destroyed? What are the chances that that very night is the same night when the evil Haman is having a gallows raised 50 feet high so that he can hang Mordecai? What are the chances on that very same night that the king can't sleep and, and, and ask, for his, ask for his people to bring, bring, bring his book, bring, bring the record of everything that's happened? What are the chances that on that night of all nights, they turn to the part where it is written what Mordecai has done for the king? What are the chances that then on that night, as he's reading through, he asks the question, what was done for Mordecai? What are the chances that they respond nothing and the king determines that he is going to honor Mordecai? What are the chances that when he asks who's around from the temple, who's around from the court in, in the palace at the moment, they say, oh, it's Haman. What are the chances that the very guy that came in to ask that Mordecai could be killed ends up being the one that parades him around in honor on a horse? Like, what are the chances that all of this starts to work together and that God weaves all of these things because he's not named, but he is at work? And I don't know how you come to be here this morning. Maybe you feel like you're close to the things of God. Maybe you feel like you're walking with Him. Maybe you feel like you've grown closer in these days. Or maybe during this last season, you feel like you've drifted away. Maybe you feel like you're distant. Maybe you feel like you're separated from His plans and His purposes. Maybe you feel like you're not walking closely with Him. I want to let you know, He is still at work. 
Even when it feels like he's distant, even when it feels like you haven't drawn near, even when it feels like maybe you haven't prayed, he is still at work and he is bringing us to a place for such a time as this. God is at work. The second thing that we discover here is that there comes a time. God is at work and there comes a time. You see, there came a time for Mordecai, even though he had all kinds of privileges in the temple, where he refused to bow down and worship Haman. I'm only doing that for God, he says. And there came a time where he risked everything to stand up for what he believed. There came a time for Daniel when they were told he couldn't pray anymore to any God except to the king or to the idol that was set up that he refused and said, I'm going to continue to pray to God though there be a den of lions on the other side of this decision. There came a time. There came a time for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were told that they had to bow and worship uh, an idol that was set up before them where they decided, you know what, even if it means going to a fiery furnace, there comes a time where even though we have position, where even though we have some admiration, where even though we've made our way as three young Jewish kids in the midst of a foreign empire and well, now we've risen to some kind of something for our family, even though all of that is going for us, there comes a time. There's only one character in this book that has two names, and that is Esther. She's introduced to us as Hadassah and Esther. She's introduced to us by her Jewish name and her Persian name. And she is told by Mordecai when she goes through the whole process of receiving a rose from the king, she goes through this whole thing and Mordecai tells her, don't reveal that you were Jewish. And so she has gone as Esther her entire life. But there comes a time And Mordecai says to her, don't think you'll escape this because that time is now. Now is the moment where you need to reveal that you are not just Esther. You are not just child of the Persian Empire. You are a child of the King. You are a child of God. And you have to stand up for all that God has placed on your life. There comes a time. I believe for each and every one of us, there comes a time. And that this is one of those for such a time as this moment. Esther decides, I'm going to risk it all. And she brings it before the king. He extends his scepter. She receives favor. She saves her people. And to this day, there is a Jewish festival called the Festival of Purim where they remember. And it's a festival of remembrance. It's a festival of remembrance that the people were spared. Every year they remember this. And one of the things that we're reminded of in this book is remembrance. We remember that we're a part of something that is so much bigger than ourselves. 
The third and the final thing is simply that. We're a part of something that spans generations and transcends geography, and this is bigger than ourselves. Rabbi Foreman points out that there's a number of words that Esther uses that the other, only other time we find those same kinds of words used in the Bible is when, is when Judah is speaking to his brothers. I'm going to take us back just for a second because I invite the team to come back up. There's a brother of the 12 brothers named Judah. And if you've ever seen Joseph in the Technicolor Dreamcoat, that's where we're at right now. Joseph's been thrown into a pit and Judah stands up and says, what profit is it if we kill him and conceal his blood, let us sell him instead? And then later, they're standing before Joseph, though they didn't recognize him. And they're they're wanting food for their family. And Joseph is putting them to the test. And Joseph says, why don't you leave Benjamin? And you've got to realize, Joseph and Benjamin are brothers here, brothers from the same mother. Joseph and Judah, brothers from another mother. It's a complicated story. Um, We probably don't have time to go into it. I definitely don't recommend it. But... There was all kinds of friction between these brothers because of who their mother was and who their father loved more, which is part of the complication. So Joseph wants to test his brothers and says, why don't you leave Benjamin? You leave Benjamin with me. You go back and get your father that you've told me you have. You bring your father back and prove that your story is true. And Judah stands up and Judah says, How can I bear to see what would happen to my father if I was to now leave Benjamin with you? Take me instead. And the brother who once was happy to sell Joseph out is now not happy to even do that with his youngest brother. He knows the pain it would cause his father. And these are the words that Esther uses. What profit is it to the king if the people are to be killed? If they were just to be sold, then at least the king would have received something for it. But you're just going to kill them. I can't stay quiet about that. It's an odd turn of phrase she uses. And then she says, how could I bear it to see this happen to my people? And while I am still alive. Rabbi Foreman points out that these these connections because of remembrance. See, the children of Judah, the empire of Judah, it had gone into exile. It had been scattered throughout the Persian Empire. It was the last kingdom standing. And Judah was made up of the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. And when we first encounter Mordecai and Esther, the Bible tells us that they're of the line of Benjamin. And see, we have this story in Genesis and we know there is a time when Judah puts himself on the line for Benjamin. When does Benjamin ever repay? When does Benjamin ever save Judah? Well, that's this moment right now. When Esther stands up and goes to the king and now a child of Benjamin saves all of the children 
of Judah because she is a part of something that spans generations, that transcends geography. She's a part of something that is bigger than herself. And so are we. When you track my faith in my family, it goes back multiple generations, five, six generations, both sides of my family, sometimes nominal, sometimes absolutely passionate for the things of God. There are ministers in my family. There are a lot of accountants in my family. <laughs> but when you track it back, you look at my, I mean, my surname is Jay Rudnam, but amongst my family, there's surnames like Mills, and Williams, and Rice, and if you trace back those family names, they come back to the people that came and shared the gospel and the good news with my family, and built schools, and built hospitals, and built churches, and you track that back, and it goes back to the early 1800s, and you find where those people, those young people came from, with husbands, and wives, and young children, and carried the good news and the gospel in a time where it meant, meant never seeing their family again, and you, do, you discover that those people came from the East Coast of America. And you discover that there was a revival that takes place in Massachusetts. And so what are the chances that we don't get to just come to the East Coast, but in some ways I get to come back to the East Coast? Because we are a part of something that transcends generations, that is broader than geography. We are a part of something bigger than ourselves. And maybe you have a family that has a legacy or a heritage of faith. And maybe you have a family that seems the furthest from it. But someone has shared with you and someone has invited you and we are all now part of God's family and part of a heritage and a legacy that is far greater than just our own circumstances. We are a part of something that is bigger than ourselves, something that has spanned generations, something that has transcended geography. And we now have something in our hand for such a time as this to do something significant, to see God's purposes and plans established for a generation in a new way. And I pray that for such a time as this, we would have a chance to play our part in being a part of something that's going to outlive us. Can I invite us to stand to our feet? We're going to worship for a moment and I'm just going to pray that we get a glimpse into what God is doing, into how He has positioned us. What are the chances that you happen to be here? What are the chances God's got you just in that place at just this time? What are the chances that maybe all the ways in which that seems disruptive is actually all the reasons God has you there? We're going to pray and then we're going to worship. Father, I thank you, Lord, that in every single place where we have come from, 
for all the different stories that have brought us together, for the ways in which You are knitting our story into Yours. And Lord, we pray that Your call and Your work would come alive in us afresh this morning. God, I pray that we would feel Your compulsion, that we would feel Your assurance, that we would feel Your strength for these days to come. I pray that we would be gripped for Your such a time as this. And Lord, that we would open ourselves to all that You are wanting to do to use us in this season. In Jesus' mighty name. Thanks for listening to that podcast. We pray it blessed you and empowered you in all that God's got for you. Why don't you share that with a friend, someone who maybe needs to hear it. We'd love for you also to visit us um, either online at colonialchurch.life or here at church at 550 State Road 207 here in St. Augustine, Florida. Be blessed.